Well, thank you for joining us for another CISO Talk episode. We have a great topic today. We're talking about communications with some communications experts. So my name is Mitch Ashley. I'm CTO with TechStrong Group and also work with the research part of our organization. And uh, I host our CISO Talk show. And uh, this is part of a masterclass series that we're doing. It's actually episode Live and we talk about a number of topics, so please check those out. And we have a, a live event coming, uh, online virtual event coming up that we'll tell you about at the end, but with lots of good stuff in it. So let's uh, get right to our topic. But I first want to start by having our panel introduce, introduce themselves. I say panel; these are two friends, colleagues. We work together. <laughs> We're a panel. It's a panel. We're paneling. It's a, a panel it's a, of friends. Yeah. If it's a <laughs> Friends isn't like a gaggle instead of a panel. I don't know what you call it when it's friends, but it's still a panel, I guess. All right. Well, anyway, so Jen Leggio, uh, great to have you on. Uh, introduce yourself, if you would. Well, I'm Jen Leggio. Um, I've been in security marketing communications for about 20 years now. Um, currently CMO of a company called Notography, um, which I absolutely love. And uh, I'm just really honored to be here with yeah, this gaggle of friends to talk about communications. Okay, the term is stuck. Thank you. <laughs> Branding. <laughs> Branding, exactly. Talking to the expert. Okay, Mr. <laughs> Rothman, my colleague, the TechStrong Research. Yeah, so Mike Rothman, I am uh, Chief Strategy Officer of TechStrong Group and GM of TechStrong Research. And general gadfly. And, and this topic is actually one that is near and dear to my heart. I've been talking about this for, gosh, 15-ish years from a published standpoint. A big part of my book, The Pragmatic CSO, was all about communication uh, at a senior level. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see Jennifer. It has been way too long. Uh, I missed RSA. I, I didn't get COVID, so that that's a plus. But I did not see a lot of the people that I have not seen in a long, long time, and I missed them terribly. So it's not quite the same, but a Zoom box will do for uh, at least the next 35 or 40 minutes. Exactly. And we have some, by the way, we have some construction going on and I'll let you guess whose who's site it is. But anyway, if you hear some... <laughs> Knocking. It could be any of us. We're not going to point any it's, fingers. It's it's not a piston in our engines of our back room of production. <laughs> it's you know some construction person uh, upstairs. So you know, Mike, I'd love for you to say I, to tell us a little bit about your book because I remember when when the pragmatic CISO came out or C, CSO came out, and that I don't remember if there was any other books targeted at a CSO role at that time. I think it was one of the first, wasn't it? It, it was. So this was in 2007. I mean, it's actually painful to, to say that and then do the math and go, wow, I've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, but really, you know, kind of it, it originated because I had a number of folks who would approach me and basically say, I've been thrust into this situation where I have to address the board. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm Now I'm managing a team. I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, there are all these other aspects of this job. I don't know what I'm doing. So I tried to write a little guide for folks that are kind of thrust into a management position for the first time, thrust into a position where they have to start selling the benefits of their security program thrust into a position where they are accountable to the board and the audit committee. And, and what does that mean? And really provide a structure for how you do that. But the thing underlying all of that is communication and collaboration. 
right? You security folks cannot exist on their own. We're part of the team. If anything, we're a service organization and the rest of the team, we've got to meet our mission, right? Which is to protect the, the critical data of the organization, but we have to do that in tandem, right? Working hand in hand with the rest of the organization or it doesn't work. And this was back in 2007, right? Things have gotten a lot more complicated since then, yeah. we're doing things a lot faster. We've got everything that's in the cloud. Cloud was like hardly even a thing back then, right? You know, it was like a timesharing thing. Like, oh, the cloud, right? CompuServe, <laughs> right? You know, all right, not quite CompuServe, but, um, you know, so center, uh, our <laughs> life is just a lot more, diff, you know, complicated, uh, significantly different than it was. But a lot of those core constructs are the same, which is your cube is a dangerous place to spend the day if you're a senior security professional, right? You've got to get out and talk to folks. You've got to get out and 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 really sell the Auspian and kind of the advantages of your security program. You've got to work with your team. You've got to work with senior managers. So, you know, it's just interesting to see a lot of these things, you know, come back around after a long time when we're like, oh my God, APT, right? Or, oh my God, you know, EDR, and we got to do this now, it's XDR and all XDR, that other stuff. Blah, blah, but whatever the at current. the end of the day, a lot yeah. of what we're doing is consistent, right? It needs to be because, you know, that's how we are successful as, as leaders. You know, Jen, we we talked. We actually uh, just had an episode talking about incident response and putting mm. plans together. And of course, communications is a huge part of it. Not telling you what you don't know. There's the formal communications, and of course, you you have a, a, an extremely big role in that as well. There's also the internal communications. We're, we're way past the days. You know, Mike's referring to of. Oh, we had an incident. Now, who do we call? Should we call legal? Do we call the CMO? Do we call who the head of who is the head of communications? Right, we don't talk to them in security. So we're past those those kind of days. As you sit in your chair and you think about now about how we have to build the relationships and the kind of communication paths and workflows, if you will, how do you see the landscape as a communications professional and executive? So I'll kind of back up from that a little bit. I think it it starts with how, you know, not just the communications process once there's an incident or there's a new program or what have you that the CISO or the security team has to roll out. It really comes back to, I think there's a whole totally new structure of accountability, not only for the communications, but for the security itself across the C-suite, where it used to be all eyes were on the CISO and like the CISO is responsible and the CISO's head's on the chopping block and the CISO goes in front of the board. But there's a lot of work I think that has to be done at the forefront that starts with communications across the leadership team of any organization where they know what their roles are in helping to enforce and communicate the policies or whether it's a policy or awareness or training or what have you to their teams. Um, in order to help the security organization. And I think that they're somewhat culpable if they don't do that and something goes wrong because of some action that might have happened from their teams. Not that it's a blame game. You don't ever want to blame, but obviously you do, again, when you do like your post investigation to figure out what wrong, you know, you're, you're looking to see the source of it. So I kind of take, I, when I think about it now, I take a step back of, of, I mean, think about any policy you roll out to a company. It can't just be like, for for instance, if I roll out a comms policy, a general one for my company, can't just be me shouting from the rooftop saying, everybody do this. The CRO has to, the head of engine CTO has to, et cetera, with their teams. It's not one person's responsibility. And that's very similar to the CISO. So now answering directly your question, I think when you get into the communications process now, 
It has to be a whole leadership response and communications pro- pro- uh, project very quickly. And the CMO is heavily involved because we're more likely to communications pros or have them on our teams um, internally. Um uh, to to make sure that people know what they have to do next, and then eventually controlling what goes out to whether it's uh, an SEC report or a broader communication. So long answer, but I really it's really something that's been eating at me for a bit. That that I really think people need to think about and talk about. The whole executive team is responsible for security. It's not just the CISO and their team in a vacuum. I don't know, Matt, what you think of that. Yeah, I, I think let's take it in two parts. I love the way you sure, broke it up because sure. it speaks directly to what Mike was talking about. Of that time, the communications happened. Yes, there's a hopefully a well-oiled plan that's been worked out, but that's all built on relationships and communication paths and understanding what's going on well before anything else happened. Because you don't you don't want that education and the learning to all have to happen the time or the day or the minute you've got something hit. I think Mike, that's what you talk about. That's what you were, you talk about investing all of the time and building those relationships and not talking down to people about security, but helping figure out that translation from security ease into business or into customer or whatever language. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and, and th- there are two points I want to make to, to, you know, kind of, piggyback on on Jen's point. And and one is to reiterate the importance of senior team alignment, right? Security is going to ask the rest of the business to do certain things. They may not like those things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to test this stuff. We've got to kick things back. If, if we have a security defect, we may, you know, have to quarantine or take down active systems that are customer impacting because we possibly have, you know, some type of data loss. So we've got to figure that out, right? These are things that business leaders, one, don't want to hear about, two, don't want to do, right? So if you don't have that alignment at the senior level, it doesn't happen, right? You can get in and, you know, I'll I'll use a term, we're going to try to keep it a family show, right? But I, I call it grin effing, right? And use your use your imagination in terms of that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm doing that. No effing way am I doing that, right? You, you, you know, and they'll tell you right to your face, oh, that sounds great, right? And and <laughs> and they're, you know, kind of relaying that back to, you know, kind of their team that says, we don't have to take that seriously, right? If you have the senior um, folks, right, the CEO, right, the chief legal officer or, or general counsel or the CFO in there basically saying, um, no, this is pretty important when we've got a critical vulnerability and something we're about to ship, you know, to customers um, or, you know, obviously software that we're going to ship to customers. We've got to block the build, right? We've got to break that build if we're in a DevOps, you know, type of, of mentality. And they have to have the air cover from that perspective, Right. So so one without alignment, none of this stuff works. Right. Without, right. you know, kind of senior level buy in for the fact that security is a corporate imperative. And 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 really the the, the way to know this. Right. Is um, I've never spoken to a CEO who has told me security is not important to them. Not once. Right. It's what they do. Right. They'll say what they think they need to say. It's what do they do? Right. Do they fund it? Do they support it? Do they, you know, kind of allow business leaders to kind of go around the machine or, or you know, kind of obfuscate and, and violate some of the policies that were there? If you've got those kind of issues, 
man, you, you don't have that kind of alignment. So, so without the alignment, I mean, you, you're just, you, you're, you're nowhere. And that, that really, I think is, is highlighting the point that Jen made is that if everybody's not on the same page, you've got very little chance to have a successful communications program because you've just got a bunch of different messages flying around within the team. Say some more about your experience, Jen, uh, from the alignment perspective. What what are, from a communications professional, what are the challenges you experience? You know, Mike and I can probably talk more about the CTO and the CSO, CISO side of it. W what's your side of that coin of getting everyone on the same page? Um, hurting cats. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and obviously what's interesting is that you know, I've spent most of my career working for security companies and they're not, we all know security companies are not uh, immune to incidents. And so you do have to, you have to have those um, crisis communications plans and, and escalations and all of that stuff developed and, and know what to do. And I think, you know, it, it really depends on the org, the size of the org, the CEO. I think Mike nailed it when he said, you know, it's really top down. The CEO says, well, security is very important to me but allows marketing, pick up my people, marketing to use a bunch of cloud apps that aren't sanctioned by the security team because it makes our jobs easier. Maybe we get more leads and faster and he or she are getting pressured by the board, right? Then all of that goes out the window. So from my experience, um, it's, 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 there's always a kind of like, not me, not my issue when something happens in my experience, regardless of the company, regardless of how wonderful the people are involved. Um, and then, and, and I think, you know, before I get to what I think should happen and, and it's, there's always in my experience, there's the first question, especially again, outside of a, a brief stint, I was at Cisco after an acquisition, um, and my time at Sourcefire, we were public and I wasn't involved in this piece there, but I mostly broke for smaller private companies. So there's not as much of that, like regulatory pressure to actually report things. The first question is awful. Do we have to say anything? Do we even have to communicate this? Can we sweep this under the rug and hope that Brian Krebs doesn't find out about it? Mm -hmm. That's the first conversation that happened. That happened to me at a company not long ago, not the one I work for currently, where it was basically all the conversation. I was screaming like, we need a plan. We can't risk this. We're going to lose customer trust if we don't tell the customers what happened, even though it was a minor non-material data that got out there because of a user error and it wasn't an issue with our product, we have to own that. They chose not to own that. I don't think it ever came back to bite them. Good on them. But I think that's that me in the CMO role and then even when I was in the communications officer role, like that drives you insane because the first thing as a business, no matter what your role is, should be about trust and integrity and how you run the business with your employees, your customers, your partners, whomever else. And every single executive on a team is responsible for revenue, reputation, business continuity, and everything, and, and across that line. But unfortunately, in my experience, it's really varied. And there are some folks that have been like, all right, Jen, you've done this. You lead us. You help us. And of course, there's lots of inputs from the technical teams because I'm only technical enough to be dangerous. Um, and then there's the ones that are like, Jen, how do we hide this? And then I'm like, I won't do it. And that creates all kinds of internal conflict. And then I don't stay long. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think that's an important aspect of that, right? If, if you can't get that alignment and you don't have the support that you know you need, it's unlikely that you're going to be successful. So go find right. it. 
thing. And, and, and if you're on this call and you're at a senior security professional level, I suspect finding a new gig won't be all that difficult. Now, you got to find the right fit. You got to, and I don't want to minimize, you know, kind of the, the, you know, kind of considerations that go into making a move. But I can tell you if for something that I believe is relatively simple, right, which is if we've done something wrong, let's craft a message that we're not running away from it. Right. You, you know, we want to be honest. And, and you, you know, Jen, you were joking about, you know, a company you work for. I'm like, I don't think she worked for Okta. Right. Because yeah. they were obviously <laughs> a, a, a no. And I know, I did that, but um, yeah. they, they were obviously an example earlier this year where they had a very, very minor issue. I mean, it was some third party reseller in South America that, you know, somebody got access, read only access to two of their customer accounts. I mean, read only. Right. I mean, this is as minor as it gets. And it became this big fiasco because Okta just wouldn't come clean. Right. It cost them in stock. I've talked to a whole mess of investors about I've lost my confidence in them and and customers. You know what? Should I be closing this deal? And and all because they didn't say it was a pretty minor thing. Some dudes got read access. We fixed the issue. Right. We've locked down that problem and we're moving on. Right. And they didn't do that. There was obfuscation. There was, you know, it just felt wrong. Right. It felt like they were hiding stuff. And if it feels like they're hiding stuff, man, that is not a good place to be in. Right. But it all gets back to this idea of trust and collaboration. Right. And and then let's, you know, kind of segue into the whole business centricity of what security has to be now. Right. Jen works for a security company. Right. So you've got some specific considerations because you work in a security company, right? Breach happens for security company, bad news. So we have to be, you know, probably more over-rotate on that front, right? Financial information, healthcare information, all of those where customer information is at risk, you've got to over-rotate on security. You make bolts, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to minimize it, but in terms of my investment priorities, I don't know that, you know, kind of securities. I mean, maybe if you have some patent on your bolt, that's fine. Um, But if you just make a crap ton of bolts, not a lot of IP in the business, it's really all about operational excellence. You know, maybe I have different considerations. And that's really the point, right? You build your security program for the company you're in, for the business you're in, for the culture that you're in. Right? And you've got to be able to really modulate what your processes are going to be based upon those considerations. Because, you know, if you come from Morgan Stanley and you show up at, you know, kind of uh, a very small credit union and they're like, oh, my God, this is the, you know, the second coming because, you know, of all that great experience, you'll find out pretty quickly my considerations in, in, in a small financial platform are far different than in, you know, a global 10 bank. True. Uh, size definitely says the company impact and market presence, et cetera, make a huge, huge difference. So let me, let me present the other side of the coin. You can, you can agree or disagree. We're also numb to the announcement of security breaches. Um, it's, you know, it's not a daily thing. It's a hourly minute by minute thing almost. And yes, there are the high profiles, octas are, it's not the days of Target, right? You know, back when so many thousands, millions of credit card uh, records got stolen. <clears throat> In a way, it's to your point, Mike, of, of if you go and hide it, you're guaranteed you're going to make a big deal about it. Well, you too. You made that <laughs> point right. too, Jen. Um, but if you disclose it, 
you know, here's what we did, what happened, here's what we're doing about it, here's what the impact was, et cetera. You know, it 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 pretty much moves past you unless maybe a security company has got a bigger impact because you're not, you know. But the fact is all companies either have or will or both get breached. It's it's a fact of life. It's just a what we world we dev we live in. Have we gotten to the point where we're so numb about it? It doesn't matter. Just disclose it and move on. What do you think, think Jen? You sound like presenting kind of an edge case here. I would well. I should say I would hope not. I mean, I I am happy that. Well, this is a double-edged sword, right? So obviously there's much more frequency in the disclosure of breaches now. It's not in the days of there's one big one and everybody talks about it for two weeks. I am happy that because of that, that a lot of the, um, the, 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 uh, what's the peanut gallery, kind of everybody like assessing what must have happened with that company and blaming them and saying what they should have done stuff has stopped, right? And it's become something that like, be careful what you say, because this could happen to you tomorrow, right? But on the, I don't think people, I, 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 I don't think people have become numb to it. I think they've gotten to a point of, I've accepted that I'm going, uh, we're going to get breached and we need to prepare for it. You still have your like people out there like, babbling on Twitter about things they don't know anything about. But um, I think it's less numb and more about like another moment of, okay, so this isn't getting any better. And why are we not stopping this? And why are these things still happening? But I guess I better make sure that I bring this, this new example up with my board or with my security team and alter our plans accordingly, because we don't want to make a mistake that they made. And you're constantly in whack-a-mole mode, just waiting to see what's going to happen. And to touch on your point, like it's a totally different, it's a totally different situation if you're a security company, right? Because when you're a security company and something happens, you know, that's that's huge. I do think it comes down to how you handle it. And the biggest reason I think some security companies try to hide it is they're afraid to lose deals in flight. And I think that's the biggest mistake because then you lose renewed customers, which is much bigger. It's much more expensive to get a new customer than to keep trust with an existing customer. So I think that's, I don't know, that that was kind of a flurry of thought. You guys know me, you know, that's the way I think. But that's where I am on the numb versus not numb and how to react and how to remediate your comms plan as new stuff happens. I, I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, breach notifications have been normalized but -hmm. there are three situations where it's you know it'll make news right first is scale so when you start getting into the you know all right 150 million you know kind of records uh, that's kind of passe right so when we keep hitting these additional you know kind of levels oh my god 300 million right oh my god facebook got busted in a billion right i mean that's going to be next right you know you know so it, it just when, when there's scale there's news in that right something that's just particularly egregious and stupid right you, you, you know kind of that is that is you know that'll make news cuz you're just like really could they have been that stupid right so so folks will jump on that because they just love the story of somebody that was just uh, you know ostensibly does something that is just so dumb that you you can't believe it it's like shocking in its idiocy so you just you know like i'll cover that let's talk about that because that's just like the dumbest thing i've heard um and then something that is new and innovative 
right? You, you, you know, when, and, and I'll use the example from a couple of years ago, and there are obviously new ones, but, but when some of the details around Stuxnet came out, right, that made huge news. Why? Because it was a space alien attack. You were just like, oh my God, I didn't know that was a thing. That's a thing. Oh my God. Right. So, so we started talking a lot about, you know, kind of what other things that we didn't think, I mean, air gap, ha, I see your air gap and I say, screw that. I'm going to, you know, totally transgress your air gap. Right. And everybody who's like, oh my God, I put all my stuff in an air gap. Am I not safe and secure on that front? So so you have all those issues. And we, and we kind of dove into and, and, and hit on a lot of the, the technical things. But the point is, you need to have a plan, right? To Jen's point, right? You need to have a communication plan for the fact of what happens if, right? And part of it is kind of a game. It's not a lot, it's not a lot different than threat modeling. So all my security folks out there, right? I mean, you're sitting there going, how could I get killed today? Right. And then so when you figure out, OK, this is how I can get killed today, then you got to say, what am I going to tell to the markets? Who do I have to talk to? How do I have to keep my board, you know, and my audit committee um, on board and, and in line from that standpoint? And it starts to become, again, just more of an external communications threat model than it is, you know, kind of an, oh, how am I going to protect my systems threat model? But the mentality is the same. Right. And I think that that's a metaphor that that can really help security folks and start to understand, oh, so if this happens, I have to have a plan for that. Well, exactly. And by the way, you can't make that plan. You have to go find the gen in your organization who's going to help you craft those messages and make sure that you've got a process in place so that when something does you know, go down, you're ready to, to, to really kind of go into action. Just like if you find out somebody's device got compromised, you know exactly how to deal with it. Right. Same same thing, but different. I'm curious, Jen, do you, uh, from a marketing communications perspective, do you have different scenarios um, mm -hmm. of the kind of security incidents and how you're going to handle that from your perspective? I'd love to, to learn from you how you think about that problem. Yeah, so most of the, that's that's a good question and it's good for people to consider, especially like, I think I, I read this, it was in an Exabee report, it was like, Everybody has to be in the assume breach mentality now. Um, and I, I thought that made a lot of sense. And so you have to kind of be in an assume breach or assume attack mode as a communications professional um, as well. And so the scenarios, I'm just naming a few, but it, it even goes beyond security. When you look at crises, it's like a death of an executive. There's some kind of harassment issue. There's some kind of other legal issue. There's a financial issue. Like there's all, you know, you have to, just like that, you have your communications trees and you have it for like, was it an insider issue? Was it an accident? Was it an actual, was it a nation state situation? Was it, you know, was there a flaw in the product? So you have like, what type of response was it? Who needs to be in the know immediately? Who needs to be part of the communications planning? Who are the immediate audiences that you need to communicate with? What do you need to communicate? What do you need to do to do your risk assessment? What's the worst case scenario of what's going to happen? Kind of what Mike was saying with threat modeling, like how am I going to die if this goes wrong, right? Like, what are you, you know, okay, so they received this message. Here are the five ways they can react to it. So how do we respond to those things? For every single scenario, whether it's security or not, anything that it can impact that could impact the bottom line of your company. 
you, you, every communications person should have it. My company's, my company's small, right? I've been with photography for six months now. We're a small series A startup. Um, I haven't rolled anything official out to the company because it's small at this point, but I have all that in my back pocket should we need it. Cause I just know that in my role, it would be irresponsible as a CMO at a company that size. I am also the comms person because we're a small marketing team. It would be irresponsible to not have these plans. Right. And even if I haven't already vetted them with my boss or the CTO or whomever else that needs to be involved yet because of the size that we're at, I need to be ready to at a moment's notice. And I think every marketer should keep that in mind and building trust with the security team. That's really hard because a lot of security teams don't trust marketers because for all the reasons we know, right, with uh, just crazy FUD and all the things that I, you know, I try not to be guilty of, but you never know. Um so you really have to build that trust to be like, hey, I'm not going to screw you over whether you have something good to put out or if you have something bad to report. I'm your friend and we are a team. I think that's really important. You got to be ready for that. It's got to be documented. Security people don't trust anybody, so don't feel bad. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just saying maybe some marketers might have earned it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, some more than Let's kind of, you know, shift a little bit in terms of the mechanics of the program, Jen, Mm, because, you know, when when we talk about kind of rolling something out like this, um, I mean, how often do you communicate to folks? I mean, you sit, I mean, you run exec team meetings and, you know, you tell your story when you do that. Is that sufficient? What if the CISO isn't in, you know, kind of those meetings? How often do you have to get in front of these people? Is it a FaceTime thing? Can I do leverage communications, a newsletter, you know? A, a weekly video. I mean, what, what you know when you're trying to think about um, rolling out a communications plan, and, and you know, obviously, we're talking within the context of you know, kind of a security program, a security policy. But we can even broaden it because I think a lot of the the techniques and tactics are going to be the same, right? It's it it's about how often do I get to them, how much repetition do they need, um, you, you know, given what all the stuff that's flying in everybody's head every day, right? How often do we have to keep in front of them to make sure that that you kind know, of what we're talking about is is front and center how do we not get you know kind of bogged down with all the other you know kind of nonsense that's out there i mean do you kind of have some some um you know points or or things that you've done you know as you roll out communications plans in some of these companies you've worked in yeah so again it really depends on the size and the the maturity and and where we're at and the risk level right um for for where the company's at um, but in terms of rolling it out, you, you know, you make your list of the key stakers and the stakeholders, like who are the must have teams, maybe the leaders and then maybe some folks on their teams that have to buy into this because they have to action it. Um, and then the, who are the nice to haves? Now, some of the nice to haves, maybe the other, some of the other executives, but they still have to be engaged and informed, right? So I think it's really important. So I, I never rely on executive team meetings for those types of things. One, they always go off agenda, no matter what, because there's always some customer issue or some other thing or some, the board wants something or there's, you know, there's always something that throws those meetings off, right? So there has to be, there's almost like a communications type council or whatever you want to call it. That sounds a little, maybe too formal, but and conceptually a council where it's like, all right, we're rolling out an overall communications policy for the company. Here's the formality. Here's the overall 
overarching if, when, what, who, et cetera. HR and the CEO, and usually the CFO, because of the whole remediation, reputation, um, continuity, are involved in like the baseline of it. And then for the different scenarios, there are the must-have folks. You cannot roll it out unless you have the buy-in of the people. And you can't roll it. And you chase them down if you have to, right? It's a dependency to be able to do it. And I know that sounds really silly, but or, or not silly, but basic. Is like you chase them down. It's like I must align with the CFO on this. I must align with the CISO on this. And there's also the and then and, you know I must align with the CRO on this because the CRO has to agree on how we communicate to the customers. They're usually the ones that like it the least that you have to put these things out there, of course. But the the smart ones, the good ones, you know, comply with it because they understand the long term impact. Um, and it, and then you don't check off and actually roll out the plan until all those people are there for it. And when you roll it out to the company, you have all of those people usually do a company-wide meeting followed up with a written communication. And you have every single one of those people that are the key communicators for it speak during that meeting. So every team hears it from the most important folks. And it's not just coming from marketing because that's going to be a big failure. No offense to my people out there. <laughs> but we know we all have lived it. They're like, oh, it's a marketing thing versus, oh, wait, there's the CEO. There's the CISO. Mm, what's wrong? Let's listen. It's just a fact. It, it, it really interesting because it, it seems like one of the symptoms of an unhealthy situation is, um, Jen, just keep us off the Wall Street Journal front page. Uh, Mike, <laughs> whatever you do, make sure there's not a breach. But right? it's sort of that you own this and don't ever let that happen. You know, I've, and I've been in those situations. And you're like, yeah, well, that is, sorry, but that is going to happen. I, mean, I hope we're never on the Wall Street Journal front page. We're going to be on somebody's front page at some point in time. It's just going to happen probably. But I, I actually think that's a, that's a very important point, Mitch, is that how do we start to communicate and really impart the urgency and importance of what it is that we do to a lot of these folks. And it's not about, you know, pointing to a, a clip from 10 years ago about the APT or whatever the breach du jour is, or, <laughs> right. you know, whatever Krebs has been up to Brian Krebs, right? Not Chris Krebs. <laughs> Krebs. We got two Krebs we got to deal with now. Um, <laughs> you, you know, Brian Krebs uh, on, on that front, you know, what, what he's discovered. And, and I think a lot of it gets back to, you know, one, what we were talking about before, you know, kind of collaboration, having those relationships, but being able to frame the issue within the context of the business, right? And that's the yes. R word, right? Risk. So what you have to do is, I mean, we think about security issues, right? Most CISOs do, right? You think about things within the prism of security issues, but what you have to do in order to really be a convincing and, and successful leader in security is be able to translate that security problem into a business risk, right? And you can't do that if you don't understand the business. So this is something I, you know, in our last episode, I got on the soapbox and it was kind of awkward, you know, it's down in the Zoom box and I'm, you know, it's a, a soapbox, it just wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> but, you, you know, kind of the importance of that, it, it was just not true. Um, but the importance of that was, was, was really about just, again, you know, kind of beating home that, that message that if you can't frame your issues in in business terms that business people are going to understand, you've got no shot, right? You, you, you know, and again, you, Jen, you got to do it, right? You know, you're talking about positioning or other kind of things in a way that the salespeople have to understand, right? In a way that the engineering folks have to understand. Well, you can't build it that way. It can't look like that because we've got to tell a different story. Same thing in security, 
right? If you can't frame those issues within the context of something that's going to impact the ability of the senior leaders to make their numbers or achieve their goals, you are just in the way, right? And if you're in the way, they've got, you know, these magical powers to make you go away. So, so part of that, again, it's it really about relationship building, but it's also about ensuring that you understand and have the contextual nuance of the business to be able to make sure that folks understand about, you know, what that process looks like. We get breached here because one of your folks didn't follow the policies. It plays out like this, which equals bad day for that executive. If, if you can't communicate it in terms of bad day, missed bonus, right? Not being able to do the country club, although that's an old thing, right? You know, we used to use that example all the time. Like, oh, you got to do that so they can make their car payments or whatever. I don't know. That, that, that's kind of old school stuff. Right now, it's really about, you know, kind of being a steward for the organization and making sure that they can meet the needs that they have, you know, with the diligence to ensure that they're protecting the assets of, of the business. Yeah, I and Mitch, I'd like to add something to that. I think, you know, I used to talk a lot about how every marketer or comms person, uh, whether they work in security or not, I've, I've done interviews about this. Mike, you and I have talked about this. Like, I've done talks about this. Um, regardless of the type of company that you work for, um, you should have an understanding of security and how to communicate research or findings, or anything that might impact your company, right? But I think now it's gotten to the level of you need to get every single marketer or communications person needs to have an understanding of breach response and how to have a, and how to build a communications plan, internal and external, to manage that. And there are a lot of firms out there that will charge you a gazillion dollars and probably not do a really good job to help you with those things that you can run to. But I honestly think that the most, the most like any, any, and again, any comms and marketing person is responsible for reputation, business continuity, helping with revenue, all of those things. So regardless of the company that you're at in the industry, B2B, B2C, whatever, maybe not a boat builder, as Mike said, you need to educate yourself on how to handle these things because they will inevitably come up in some way whether your team, your security team comes up with some random thing they want to take to the market and you can't be blindsided by it or your company gets hit. Well, this is a, this is a masterclass series. And what we mean by that, it's, it's, it's sharing knowledge is helping people that are progressing through their career. Maybe they're aspired to, or they're they've entered into a CISO role. Maybe they're in one for a while and, you know, we're all, all always learning, but it's, it's still, you know, you're making that transition from, super technical to now I got to speak business to, uh, why don't we wrap up with this, this thought? I'm, what, what is it, Jen? And I'll ask Mike, you kind of the other side of the coin. What is it that you, um, either hope or wish that security professionals knew, uh, or would learn, um, that you see from your, from working with multiple CISOs, CTOs, technical people, uh, in your role? What is the one thing you kind of wonder to, I I hope they kind of figured this out because this is going to help them a lot. Um, that the CMO is their friend <laughs> and is there to help. Just you, Jen, just you, you're their friend. I'm their friend. I'm, I'm the friend of every CISO. Uh, no, but, the, the, uh, but no, that is there to help them um, and to plan early. 
to plan early. So it's not a fire drill. I mean, it's always going to be a fire drill to some degree because you don't want to be doing these things. Um, but plan early and and build trust with your, with your marketer and work in tandem with them to build a communications plan. So it's not a bunch of push and pull and you don't have your marketing team out there trying to represent you without your buy-in because that ultimately leads to the mistakes that publicly look like you were responsible and that's not fair to anyone, right? Those are my two things I wish for. It's a good point because, you know, we talk about CISOs keeping their job, right? When something happens and I would venture to guess if you don't have a great relationship with your CMO, certainly there's trust there. You're probably going to be on the end of losing your job because it's not going to go well externally, right? Really good point. Mike, from your perspective, what, what do you wish upcoming, maybe existing CISOs knew uh, about this issue around communications? Um, that is the higher in the organization that you climb, the more your job is predicated upon relationships, influence, and persuasion. And that's a very hard thing for technical people to get their arms around, right? It's like, but I did this, it worked out. It's, and I told the story, you know, Mr. Van, right? You know, you may be right, but you'll still be dead. He was my driver's ed teacher. And he, you know, kind of told me when I was about to do something that was right, but it would have resulted in me getting into an accident. It's the same kind of thing, right? You may be right, but you're not going to be successful if you can't figure out how to frame that in a way that the, the your, your peers on the team, you know, understand it. And, and remember, we're a service organization. We don't, in few cases, does the security team contribute to the revenues of the organization. It can certainly impact the revenues of the organization, but in terms of contributing the revenues of the organization, less so. Right. Which means we need to ensure that, you know, again, it's a position of influence, right? Somebody who's responsible for huge deals, right? Bring in huge amounts of money to the organization. They, they can kind of do kind of what they want within certain, you know, parameters, obviously, but they get a lot more leeway than somebody who's really a service organization to the rest of, of the business. So if you can just get your arms around the fact that, you know what, this is not about my proficiency in, you know, keeping all of my desktops, you know, updated or all of my servers, you know, kind of at the right patch levels, right? This is about making sure that we've got an agenda, we've got a communications plan, we are communicating that to the rest of the organization, understanding why they're doing that. We talked about the why a lot, you know, kind of in the fourth masterclass, right? The importance of understanding why we're asking people to do this stuff makes it a lot easier to go down, especially if they don't like to do it. But, but really just to, to get your arms around the fact that my job now is to influence and persuade and less about, you know, kind of actually doing security things like you've done for most of your career. Really good point. It's about communications, <laughs> believe it or not. You know, I, I heard a phrase once you reminded me of, of Mike. Um, it's great to be right. You just don't want to be dead right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's yeah, that's, I was also, I was thinking while we're at, we're, I've heard this a lot. I've said this a lot. It's like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Do you mm -hmm. want to be right? Or do you want to be successful? Right. You can sit in your you can sit in your uh, your opinions all day long and hold to them. But if everything's blowing up outside the wall. That's right. Yeah. So that's a really good go, point. Right? Good yeah. luck with that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's been fantastic. Um, I want to remind everybody, uh, our audience, that um, we have our kind of live interactive wrap-up episode of this series, the Masterclass. We call this Masterclass Catching Lightning in a Bottle. It's the essentials, bringing it all together. And it's August 30th uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can sign up by going to Security Boulevard or uh, DevOps.com. There'll be a registration page there for webinars is what it's listed under. So it's live as in we interact with the audience. We incorporate your comments, your questions, your suggestions. Sometimes it goes interesting places. It always does, actually. And we will try to touch on the topics that we've hit on, on uh, across this master class series. So. Jen, thank you so much. You truly made it a masterclass with your presence, your knowledge and experience. And it's great to do with us with a colleague that we know and trust so well. Mike, my friend, colleague as well. Always, it's a pleasure. And uh, we talk all the time and I still, I learn something every time. So it's great. It's awesome. I'm walking around smarter every day from you both. And I hope I know that our audience is too uh, as well. Thank you everybody for joining us for CISO Talk our masterclass series. And we look forward to having you join us on the 30th of August and be sure to tune in. We've got a lot of other great episodes on digitalanarchist.com. Thanks to you both, Jen and Mike. Thank you.